Can you hear me now? Welcome to the Screaming Box Technology and Business Rundown Podcast. I am your host, Dave Erickson, and with me is my co-host, Botan Sedesh. And today we have James Hipkin from Red 8 Interactive as our guest. In this podcast, we're looking to James to explain the ins and outs of website traffic conversion and digital marketing in ways that will make sense to all those who are listening. James has worked in marketing and advertising for almost 40 years, with clients such as Sprint, Apple, Nestle, and Toyota. He never loses track of what's important, and he believes that when done right, marketing creates value for customers as well as the business. Today, James is passionate about websites and helping the rest of us understand online marketing. His clients value his jargon-free, common-sense approach. All right, James, hopefully I was able to get everything right. Uh, Anything you want to add? Uh, no, Dave, you did a great job. Thank you very much for having me um, swing by today, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. All righty. Well, today we want to kind of talk about website traffic from the point of view of when it actually kind of hits the website and what do businesses do with it. So maybe you can talk a little bit about what are some of the realistic goals and priorities that a business might have for their website traffic. That's a great question, and, and it, it's good to start with the fundamentals and start with the, with the big picture. And oftentimes, in my observation, this is where things go wrong, um, right at the beginning. Um, they really do not understand what the primary objective of the website is for their business. Um, you know, you all ask that question to a business owner and they'll say, conversion. Um, and conversion is awesome, not saying it's not a good idea, but it's almost always the wrong answer. With Unless you're generating seven figures in traffic every month, which is unlikely, you're not, most of the traffic that's getting to your website is getting there because they've heard about you someplace else. Either referral, or they saw a post in social media, or they read an article, or they read something you wrote on LinkedIn. They're getting there because their friend said, hey, these are great folks. So from the point of view of the customer and the journey that the customer is on, their first goal when they get to the website is not conversion, it's confirmation. What do you mean by confirmation? Well, uh, what I mean by confirmation is that they have a question in their mind. They have a problem that they're trying to solve. And they want to confirm that you are a resource that understands their problem and can help them solve it. That's the journey that they're on. And that's the mistake that's most often made with a website is the copy on the website is what I call inside out. It's all about me. It's all about the business. All of the, been in business for 20 years, 15 different board members and partners and, 
and we do we do this and we do this and we do this and we do this and and all these features and attributes that that are probably all correct but that's not why the person got to the website right so understanding the structure and mirroring the customer's journey with the structure on your website is a really important aspect and it's a mistake that's it's not hard to do this is mostly about copy and layout this isn't technology but it's almost always missed and it's, it, it maybe it's one of the reasons why you know when you're building or putting together the concept of your website it's always good to bring in a copywriter because they're not personally connected to it right they can look at it from maybe a an outside perspective and say what are you trying to achieve versus this is what i want to say about myself exactly and 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 spend the time building your customer avatar understand who your customer is demographically that helps you determine what media you should be using if they're over 40 don't be spending time and energy on tiktok yeah. You know, just because it's new and, and, and people are talking about it a lot, people who are over 40 are just not there. If, if, uh -huh. they're, if they're over 40, contrast is really important in the layout because people, you know, our eyes start to deteriorate once we hit our 40th birthday. And it doesn't get any better as we get older, but yet the money is in the older people. So make it really it. easy for them to consume. The, the reality is, you've probably heard the, the story about a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. I, I remember hearing something. Yeah. Like that. yeah, it's a myth. It's not true. But regardless, as a business owner, you should be so lucky. You've got six uh -huh. seconds or less to engage a visitor. And I got the six seconds doesn't start when the page has loaded. This six mm -hmm. seconds starts when they click the link to access the page. So in the six mm -hmm. ways to engage website visitors in six seconds or less, the first thing I talk about to people about is page load speed. I mean, I reviewed a site two days ago. People came, took 35 seconds for the page to load. Ouch. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> We think you've got to have your first major content paint in less than a second. I just agree. I was looking at uh, one of the, one site which I'm, I was really interested in. So I was not going in with a six second attention span, but it didn't load for about 10, 20 seconds. And by that time I was out. And people won't don't have that kind of patience. They'll, they're, they're gone. So job one, Get the page to load really quickly. Job two is, am I in the right place? Now, this, this should be an almost instantaneous thing, right? The logo is placed where they expect to find it. Usually the upper left-hand corner, sometimes the center. Don't be getting creative with where you place this thing because the purpose of it is, am I in the right place? Use consistent colors and consistent fonts. If you're using blue in your... Facebook pages and your ads and whatnot, for God's sakes, don't make the website pink, right? <laughs> you yeah, laugh. Keep your brain I mean, <laughs> I see this all the time. It's like, so you've got like this font here and you've got this entire, you've got a script over here and, and 
you want it to be instantaneously recognized, I am in the right place. And remember, people see before they think, before they hear, before they do anything else they see. It's the reptilian brain. I used to, when I was public speaking pre-pandemic, I'd, I'd stand in front of a room and I'd have everyone raise their right hand. And I'd go, okay, everyone touch your nose. And I'd put my hand on my forehead. And 80% of the room would put their hand on their forehead. And the point I'm making is register instantly, I'm in the right place. Then, yeah, I mean, one of the things I, I do with uh, our clients is, is I ask them, do you have a style guide? Yeah. Have you done a, a basic, you know, what, you know, if we're going to touch, even if they already have a website and they just want us to do back end work or something, right. I always ask for the style guide. I always ask, you know, do you have your concept of your brand uh, for working with a company that's, uh, you know, trying to build a digital product? Uh, again, I ask that this is basic UX stuff, but. People think that a website doesn't involve UX and, and it's all about that. And, and the point you're making that you got to have all the colors and everything right so that people know where they are. Right. It really is critical. Oh, yeah. And then the next thing you do, and this is the conversation we had earlier about conversion versus confirmation, is give them a benefit-oriented reason to stay. You're much more likely to engage them, get their thought process focused on the things you want them to think about if you lead with their problem. Don't talk about yourself. Talk about them. Yeah. So if you just say I'm a website and I have uh, purple cars, yeah, it doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything, right? Because it talks about you, but it doesn't talk about what they need. Exactly. And and they're, therefore they're not going to engage, right? The next thing you need to understand is the call to action, and I'm using the phrase call to action in a in the larger strategic sense. Obviously, a button that says click here or learn more or book a call or something, that's a call to action. But when I'm talking about call to action, I'm talking about the path. The, each target audience, circling back to the avatar for just a second, what are their demographics? What are their attitudes? What are their pain points? And what do they gain from working with you? You're going to have sub-segments inside of your target audience. Make the path clear. You know, um, I did some consulting with a woman who was a, a quite a well-established uh, keynote speaker. And her website was Frankenstein. It was all over the map. You know, like Rebecca, you've got no, nobody knows how to, how to get anywhere. And who are your audiences? Well, I have three audiences. There's... Um, you know, event organizers who are trying to book a keynote speaker. There are corporate HR professionals who are looking for me to come into their organization and teach their executives how to communicate properly. And then there are executives who need coaching on how to make a keynote speech, how to present in front of a large group, right? Three very different audiences, one larger proposition that she's all about. I am a, I'm a skilled public speaker. So that's the big problem that's being solved. And then create the pathways for each of these groups, because obviously what is important to an event organizer is not even remotely the same as what's important to an HR director. 
So if you can get them to click down one of these paths and engage with the site and go to the next level, you've got them through the six seconds. Yeah, I mean, call to action is really just what it is, a call to action. Right. Maybe, uh, you know, you can go in a little bit. Uh, what are the different types of call to actions? You use the example of the public speaker. That's kind of a service site. Maybe uh, we can do something. Botan uh, is working on a site that uh, sells T-shirts. It's an e-commerce site. Are the call to actions that are used on the different types of, of sites different? Or, I mean, if you wanted to, you know, how would you categorize call to actions maybe is the better question. Well, the, the, the better question is what is the audience looking for? Again, we're trying to support their journey and make the website be an, an integral part of their journey. So if you're selling t-shirts, you're still going to have sub-segments within the audience that wants to buy t-shirts. You're going to want, you're going to have people who will want to buy t-shirts in bulk for a corporate event or for a school group or for a team or whatever it might be. So that would be one pathway and that would be one call to action. You may have people who are looking for t-shirts as a, as a gift. I want to get something cute for my wife, or I want to get something cute for my husband, or, you know, my daughter wants to get something cute for her, for her father. You know, that's a different pathway. They're all t-shirts, but let the audience determine what the pathway should be. The only right answer is what's right for the customer, what's right for the audience and support the audience, the journey that they're on. You do that, and suddenly it stops being sales and starts being a partnership. You know, and, and that's an important distinction. This is getting into some higher level strategy stuff, but something that a website owner, particularly an e-commerce website owner needs to recognize, the most important sale is not the first sale. Mm -hmm. The most the important sale, sale is the second sale. Because once you've sold to them twice, the chances that they'll buy a third time are exponentially improved. And the value, the return on the investment to acquire them in the first place is extended if you can increase the average order value and you can increase the order frequency. Part of the call to action is you need to try to really understand from the customer point of view yes. what their what they would want is an action exactly right what do they want to do and then you need to kind of craft the call to actions to lead them down that path in a sense is it, that correct that's exactly right and when you start to do that you get them into the layers and at, and it's an inverted pyramid it's a pyramid right the the home page should be very focused on these principles there's a couple of other things that are important on the home page we can get into in a second but once they click through the path, they're giving you permission to give them more information. They're asking you for more information. It needs to be information relative, relevant that's relevant to them because they've also identified who they are. Right? So don't make the copy generic. Make it very specific to who's likely to be landing on this page. Right. I saw a thing on LinkedIn this morning where they were talking about long copy versus short copy. And I, I remember very early in my career, I asked the creative director that we worked with, 
you know, what what's this business about long copy and short copy? I mean, why does long why does long copy seem to work better than short copy in direct marketing? He said something very profound. He said, you know, if the customer is interested, you need to give them the information that they need and let that determine the length of the copy. If they're not interested, it doesn't matter whether it's short or long, they're not going to read it. Mm -hmm. And and that same- so it's, about, it's about interest. It's about interest and, and, and reading the signals that they're giving you by virtue of the path that they're taking on the website. And they're, it, it's the, you know, Dave, you might be old enough to remember this, but back in the day, the Hare Krishna used to be in shopping malls and they, they give you a flower. <laughs> Right, you're laughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. And what the psychology behind that was, if you accepted the flower, you were giving them permission to speak to that, to speak to you. It's the same principle on a website. If they pick that path, they're giving you permission to speak to them. Make sure that the inf you're taking advantage of that by giving them information that will support their journey. And what's going to happen is you're more likely to convert them into the action you want them to take, but they're going to be converted for the right reasons. On a page, you might need to have several call to actions. Some of those call to actions might be quick purchases because they're already familiar with you and they're coming back a second time. So they, they need access to purchase quickly. Right. But then a bunch of call to actions are going to be information gathering to try to make the decision of whether they want. So example, on t-shirt sites, having a long article about why you use cotton from this region of the world versus synthetic materials, they would be interested in, in reading that kind of content and that might make them decide, okay, these are the type of t-shirts I want. Right? Exactly right. But you've raised a different point and it's a very important point. The, what we've been talking about is people who are getting there for the first time, and that's very important. But there are also there's another implication to this call to action and and you know make it easy to navigate thing. We see websites with five, six, seven, eight different choices in the main navigation. If somebody is a returning visitor, they don't need to go through all this. They know where they want to get to. Make it very easy for them to find that. So we push people to limit the main navigation to max four items, ideally three, so that a returning visitor, because people know how a website works, right? They know where to look for things, right? So they'll look, if, they'll look at the main navigation and go, yes, that's what I'm after. And they'll choose that path to go directly to the thing that they need to see because they know what they're looking for. So that's another piece of this where you're dealing with the, the experienced customer, make it easy for them to find what they need to find quickly and easily and without having to do a lot of thinking. You don't want to have them thinking. You've got six, seven mm -hmm. different choices in the main navigation. Suddenly you've got them engaged and trying to figure out what these things mean and what they mean to mm -hmm. them and you've lost them. 
you know, so. Right. And obviously some people get crazy with menu item names. And sometimes you look at the menu item and it's like, what, what exactly are these? Yeah. Again, it's about understanding the customer avatar in virtually any business. 80% of sales comes from 20% of customers. Those are the folks you need to service, the 20% that are driving the majority of your sales. You're not trying to do, you're not trying to support everybody. And this is how I get people to th start thinking about, well, how can I streamline my navigation? I've got this kind of person and that kind of person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I had this call with a, we're doing a website right now for a guy who does hard money lending in the construction industry. And he had a, like, a, what f sectors do you support? And he had a list of about eight different sectors that he support. So I'm like, so, okay, so that's awesome. What are the three most important sectors? And he said, well, most of my business is coming from this group, this group, and this group. I said, well, we're, let's focus on them. Right? And th that's the kind of discipline that you need to bring to this because the, the website needs to be useful. It needs to be, it needs to create value for customers. It needs to create value for the business. And keeping that teeter-totter in balance is important. How we can gamify the experience for visitors? Since these days, gamification has been huge, but uh, it's, it's extremely rare that we find that it has been implemented correctly. I think the only example I can think of off of the top of my head is maybe the I mean, here they are new, maybe they are more common in your areas, is the little kiosks in McDonald's where uh, we can order food. I think that's that's kind of a great example of gamification because uh, everyone can play around with adding different menu items, uh, customizing the contents, and then even the part where um, we have to enter which uh, number we have and then we get uh, that number and bring it to the table. That's almost like a fetch quest <laughs> in the game terms. So I was wondering um, what I could do um, as a prospective business owner who wants to sell one specific kind of t-shirt. How could I gamify this experience for people? Well, you're probably not going to like my answer to that question. <laughs> Uh, can I continue? I, I had one idea on how to do this, and it was to offer sort of an interactive experience where uh, we can have different models. We can uh, select by age, by weight, by level of fitness. And that way they can look through how the same t-shirt looks on uh, uh, different people of different sizes. But uh, okay, one of the things you want, the, the, my simple answer is in this kind of situation is almost always don't. <laughs> right. <Okay>. Sorry, man. <laughs> but, no, the, but, but the reason why I'm saying that is it, it depends on the audience. If, it, if it's something that's going to support their journey, it's going to make their interactions with you more positive and more worthwhile and build relationship equity, build value that goes beyond the functional and transactional benefits of the product you're selling, then it's a good thing. And it's, it's one of the tactics that you can choose. 
but you're going to want to make sure that the tactic you're choosing supports the strategy and the strategy is driven by the audience, by the customers. And the reason why gamification is, is very unsuccessful, most times it's tried, is not because of bad execution, it's because of bad strategy. People are doing it because it's the new shiny thing and it's something that somebody said that you need to do this. Oh, okay. Without giving proper and due thought to what is the audience looking for. And the other piece of it is while thus your business is super important to you, it completely surrounds you. It is the, it is your big picture. It is your little picture. It's everything. To the average consumer, you are barely a dot on their horizon. They are full of all kinds of other things that they're worrying about. So you're going to want to make your, your interactions with them be very supportive of what they're looking for, not what you think is cool. <laughs> Sorry, Ed. Right. No, no, that's, that's okay. That's all right. Um, another thing I was um, writing a couple questions about is um, as a sales funnel. So I read about it, and as far as I understand it, it is uh, basically different ads we have on different platforms redirecting to different sales pages, as it could be applied to my example. But I was wondering if um, you had some uh, different insights in sure. what it is or how we design it. Yeah, well, let's, let's define terms, first of all, because I see this mix up all the time. What you're describing is not a sales funnel. Mm -hmm. What you're describing is the marketing funnel. The marketing funnel mm -hmm. is the process where you're drawing in qualified prospects into the top of the funnel. The mid funnel is where you're building no like and trust through, through microtransactions of increasing value. The first one might be, you know, watching a three minute video. That's a microtransaction. It's very limited value, little value on the consumer side, et cetera, but it says something to you about this audience. Serve them through remarketing an ad that perhaps invites them to join your Facebook group. So that's another microtransaction, a little bit richer value proposition, et cetera. So you want to draw people in and, and through a succession in the mid funnel of microtransactions of increasing value. Then when you get them to that first purchase, that's where the sales funnel gets involved. The sales funnel is all about what happens after the first purchase. Upsell, downsell, cross-sell, these other activities. But it's more than that. Because if you think about the customer's interest, it looks like a bell curve. Most of the time, you're not even a dot in their horizon. And then they recognize that there's a need, so their interest starts to climb, looks like a bell curve, and they go into consideration, well, I guess I gotta figure this out. And then they'll go into prospecting, which is I'm, now I need to make a choice. Then they'll purchase from you, but their interest doesn't vanish instantly once they've made that purchase. They're still looking for 
confirmation that they've made a good choice, confirmation that you value their business, confirmation that you're, you're the right solution for them because they're also very aware of the competition. They're very aware of the competitive offers that are out there. Their interest level is high. So the opportunity in the sales funnel is to take advantage of the back half of that bell curve by engaging them, by sending them an email that says, thank you very much, by following up with an email that says, you bought this product, our customers have learned that they can use it this way and they can use it this way. So you're creating this relationship with them. You're sharing value with them that goes beyond the functional benefits of the product and you're becoming a trusted partner. You also have an opportunity. They're open to your messaging. If you want to upsell them on something, as long as it's relevant to their needs, that's a good thing to do. It's not necessarily, doesn't look as salesy so much as, oh, that's cool. I didn't know I could do that. Or you might, they might pass on that upsell offer. So you give them a downsell offer that's more like, yeah, we can give you financing on this. You can pay in three easy installments. Th those kinds of examples. The sales funnel is post first purchase. The marketing funnel is how they get there in the first place. That distinction is important because it helps you choose w what to do and when to do it. Well, there is huge confusion on this topic online. Oh yeah. <laughs> Literally everywhere I read. <laughs> Every, I, I see it all the time, all the time. And it, it's, I think when I explain it, it becomes very clear. And yeah, how they're, they're, two, they're two different things. They're, they are connected. And they're connected at the peak of the interest curve. And recognizing that engagement that the audience has with you will help you choose the tactics that make the most sense. Uh, speaking of the peak of the bell curve, I believe uh, at the peak of my interest, at looking at different products, one of the things I look for, in general, are testimonials. And I was wondering, uh, what do you think about them? How oh, yeah. they could be organized? Well, we, uh, circling back to the homepage again, we talked mm -hmm. about am I, you know, page load speed. We talked about am I in the right place. We talked about benefit-oriented reason to stay. And we talked about make the call to action clear. The other thing that you need to do is build trust. And that's through what I call reasons to believe. And that's where your credentials can get involved. Things like we've been in business for 20, you've made a claim, I can solve this problem. Why should I believe you? Well, I've been in business for 20 years. We've got five you know, senior partners. We have over a hundred years of experience. We have these five-star ratings. We have these reviews. We work with companies like this. I'm doing a site right now for a high-end business coach. He, he works with C-level um, executives. Uh, his principal client is Apple. So he's working with the C-suite at Apple. So I give you a sense for the level that he operates on. He clearly has worked with some super high-end companies. He had this massive list of companies he's worked with and I'm like, you know, Sandy, you've got to cut this. We only need three or four because the purpose on the homepage is just to put a big old stamp of approval. We put these four brands immediately under your hero section and that's instantly going to tell people you are credible. It's good. That's reason to believe. Testimonials are reason to believe. 
we worked with a built a website for a company. It was an angel investment group in Sacramento, California, and they had a gazillion testimonials and they wanted to put them all on the homepage. And we're like, no, don't do that. Pick and choose the testimonials to support the primary message of individual pages throughout your site. They are very important because they provide reason to believe. They build trust. But you can use them tactically to support messaging on all kinds of different pages. And, and what we ended up doing, a lot of these testimonials were quite long. We cut them up into chunks because some part, one part of the testimonial supported this idea and another part of the testimonial supported this other. So we'd use the same testimonial three, four different places in the website all chopped up and it works really really well um, you know five-star reviews is another great reason to believe builds that overcome obstacles you know and, and even even page load speed is a trust factor right it's this is these things are all interconnected but there but there are not there are only a few things that you need to be thinking about which is awesome when you start thinking about it strategically, then it helps you clean out a lot of the shiny thing syndrome. Because, well, that's very cool, but does it support my strategy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, even, even technical things like page loading speeds or eliminating page errors and stuff like that, not only do they build trust, but they also have another function, which is to help support any SEO work you do or anything like that. So that, those are all important things as they relate to other things as well. That's right. Um, exactly right. That, that concept that I went through, those, those six ways to engage visitors, they apply to every single page in the website relative to the journey that the customer is on. But those still principles are still, if, they, if somebody clicks in, takes a pathway and clicks to a landing page that is the other end of that, that, that call to action, you're still going to have to reassure them they're in the right place. You're still going to have to give them a benefit-oriented reason to stay. You're still going to need to make the next step crystal clear. You're going to still need to provide reason to believe to support that trust. And you're going to want to make another mistake I see made frequently is make the, the page easy to consume. White space, negative space, images that support you know, uh, a common trick that's used in e-commerce sites, and now that I tell you about it, you'll start seeing this everywhere. Um, when people are doing photo shoots for e-commerce, they won't have the model looking out, they'll have the model looking at where the headline is going to be. Because people's instinctive really? reaction is to follow the eyes of the person that they're looking at. So you want them to look at what it is you want to want them to to engage with. So, it, so if you're doing a a, a photo shoot of uh, models wearing T-shirts, you want to shoot them uh, looking to the left or looking to the right because you may have a headline on either side of them or some content. Exactly. Uh, or you know, looking somewhere, and you can use that to kind of help guide people to seeing that content. That's, is that correct? That's right. So pictures tell, so... copy sells. So make the, mm -hmm. make the page really, really easy to consume. Line length, people can't read 
There's a reason that newspapers are in columns. Because you can scan those short lines very, very rapidly. Yet, why do people put 900 pixel wide columns on a web page with sentences that go all the way across? Really hard to read. You know, and 10 point type. <laughs> you know, it's a, right. because it's a designer not, th not thinking about UX. It's a designer trying to make something pretty. But the reality is you want those line lengths to be scannable, short, and you so that people can really scan. You break up lots of paragraphs, lots of bullet points, make it very easy to scan and consume the content on the page. That's another trust factor. And it also makes people feel like you're supporting their journey. You know, it's not a conscious thing. They don't consciously, oh, look at this. They're really being helpful. It's a subconscious thing, but it's no less valid. Because when it's not there and people are struggling to find their way, they, they leave. They've got other choices. They've got other options. Uh, when you mentioned uh, making the page easy to consume, I thought we were going to head in a completely different direction. Because I was thinking, in my mind, uh, if we need to make uh, the subject of the page easy to consume while we are on the page and immediately my mind went to right so all the pages that have Apple Pay automatically have like a hundred percent boost <laughs> uh, over pages that don't from my point of view because I can just click that face ID done paid and shipped but uh, when I see a registration form I'm out immediately. Right. Yeah, and, and that forums are, the UX behind forums is another whole conversation. Um, again, it's about the where they are in their journey. The more invested they are, the more they're prepared to, you know, fill out a form. You know, if they're, but you want to, another very simple and easy trick to do if you've got to capture lots of information. Most professional level form software will let you do pages inside the form. Well, if you've got a form that only has like two boxes in it, oh, I can do that. And then they click and oh, there's two more boxes. Well, I can, I can do that. And then they cl click and then there's, you know, two or three more box. You know, it becomes less intimidating to go through those steps versus seeing a, f a, f a form that's got 15 boxes in it that they have to fill out, in which case, yes, you're right. Oh my God, I'm not doing that. I don't have time for that. I'll come back to it. <laughs> right? Yeah, but yeah I, I've been, I've, I've been trapped in one of those forums before. You know, there, there's a limit, right? Oh, yeah. So it's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll answer these two questions. Oh wait, there's two more. And then there's two more and then there's two more and then and it's like okay no no enough i'd rather just not you know you have to kind of figure out what are people willing to to do maybe six maybe eight yeah. probably not more than that you know the fewer the better yeah and i'll i'll often push clients okay with with a very simple question what are you going to use this information for you only want to collect data that you actually are going to use and more important than that that you're going to use to create value for your customer. 
because ultimately that's the goal here. The more value that you can create for your customer, the more likely they are to come back to make that second purchase and then the third purchase. Uh, earlier, we were talking about the sales funnel, the second and third purchases. And uh, I think we briefly mentioned upselling or downselling. And I think one of the main ways companies do that is by using um, uh, exit indent identification. Excuse me. Exit indent pop-ups? Right. Um, so this is what I wanted to talk about for a, uh, for a brief moment. Because I really think that uh, of all the pages that I've ever visited, I've only seen a single good implementation of this. Why do you think that is? Why, why is exit intent so difficult to get right? I, I th again, I think it, it needs to, it's not so much, people lo lose track of this, it's not so much that there is a pop-up at exit intent, it's what does the pop-up say? What is it yeah. offering? If that, if that offer is closely connected to the needs of the customer who's likely to be on that page, they're not going to see it so much as an intrusion. They're going to see it as a value add. Oh, yeah, right. I meant to do that. But if it's just a random generic pop-up, you know, sign up for our newsletter, you know, with no real rhyme or reason for it to be there, then it's just annoying. Or don't leave. You have stuff in your cart. Yeah. I'm like, I know. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, but, but yeah. okay, let's, let's explore that one. one. One of the things I've seen done well, that, and I've actually seen the numbers, so I know that it's working, is they, they did a pop-up that said, don't leave, don't leave. And I had them change the messaging to something along the lines of, I know you're really busy. Give us your email and we'll send you a link so that you can come back to your shopping cart when you're ready to follow through. Okay. Exactly the same execution, but a very different messaging. And that messaging was supportive because most people are really busy and you're showing empathy to their needs and you're giving them value that goes beyond the transactional benefits of buying something from you. You're making it easy for them to fulfill their journey. And I've seen the numbers. It works like nobody's business. So... The best example that I've ever seen of exit intent pop-ups is actually uh, in Amazon's Audible. I don't know if you are subscribed to the service. It's a couple audiobooks every month. I, I'm old school. Choice. I still read. <laughs> yeah, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> I don't have much time for it. I will admit, but and what did they do? So what they do is uh, it's really intriguing. So. Essentially, on their end, it's uh, it's digital goods. So the supply is infinite, so it makes complete sense for them to just say that, uh, "Hey, I 
we know that this is expensive so how about this for the next three months you pay the price for the regular subscription but you still get the value of the premium one and not once have I actually cancelled my subscription with Audible. Right. <laughs> right. And that's a that's a downsell offer. You know, they got they got you know, uh, I'm not sure I want to do this. So they came back to them, but I love I love the way they did it because the language, the words they used were empathetic to where the to to the customer's journey and to the customer's needs. And that's why that's what makes it effective. A lot of people forget about the, that that whole process of the person bought something. It seems like they just think, oh, they bought something great. We just send it to them. And, and that's the end of the conversation. And it's really kind of the beginning of a conversation. I have a really good example. I had to buy a bike part. I'm into mountain biking. So I was buying a bike part. And, and a lot of the sites that, that sell this stuff is orientated towards kind of a younger crowd. Uh, and that's okay. But this one site uh, that is actually a local site, uh, they really do well in the language that they use. I ordered a part and they sent an order converse, uh, a confirmation. Uh, the order confirmation basically says, it's a fact. Yes, you, Dave Erickson, are a brilliant human being and you just bought some awesome stuff. We're confident this is the best order confirmation you've seen all day. You should print it out and hang it in your bike cave. We assume you have a bike cave because who doesn't? <laughs> so that that's like a, a brilliant way of, you know, that that there engaged me and, and made me think, okay, these are cool people. I would certainly consider buying from them again just to get another order confirmation email like that. Right. And right? Tra two things. Transactional emails are a huge missed opportunity. All kinds of transactional emails, you know being having fun with your 404 page right <laughs> that's a transaction that that that's an opportunity to show empathy and to you know to communicate your personality what you've just described dave is a great example of creating value beyond the transactional they've lifted your understanding of who this brand is on, to a higher level of relationship. You know, the psychology behind this is, is attribution theory. If, if somebody trolls you on a Facebook post, and it's not anybody you know, it's just as some random person being, you know, unpleasant, um, you attribute that behavior to them as a person. Oh, they're just, they're just an idiot. Right. Whereas if your f close friend, somebody you've known for 20 years, says something really obnoxious to you, your instantaneous response is, hey, man, what's up? You having a bad day? You're attributing their behavior to their circumstance. And that understanding of that, the what that confirmation email does is establish a relationship that goes beyond the transactional so that if something goes wrong and, you know, crap goes wrong, you're not going to attribute that to a awful product. You're going to attribute that to, huh, I wonder what happened in their factory. 
right? That, that distinction is really important. And it's what creates the insulation and builds the long-term relationship. Transactional emails are a wonderful opportunity to do that kind of thing. It's a missed opportunity. Not hard to do. It's a set it and forget it once you've done it once. But people don't, right? They just take the default that, that you know, WooCommerce provides and off it goes. And it's a, it's a missed opportunity because they're, they're falling back on execution without understanding the strategy. Well, I want to kind of circle back to something you said in the beginning of the podcast. Um, and uh, it, it's kind of around the concept that you mentioned. Uh, you only have six seconds to get a person to, that, that is visiting your website to decide if they want to stay more. Right. And the reason that you want that is you want to expose them to more content. Can we talk a little bit more about that, that concept? Because I don't know, you know, how does this fit into a, a person is building or thinking about a website for his business? They're never saying to themselves, well, I got six seconds. What am I going to say in six seconds? But I, I think maybe we can talk a little bit more about why is that time frame important and what are some of the things that businesses can do to get people to stay longer and then why would they want them to stay longer, right? And, and how much is longer and, and what is the purpose of longer? Maybe we can talk a little bit about that because I, I think there is there is some more questions about that. Sure. Um, I'll try to unpack your question here. Um, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I can break it down a little bit smaller if you'd like. No, I, I think broadly it's, you want them to stay as long as they need to stay to extract the value that they're looking for. I mean, ultimately, like I, I hear this frequently from professional services companies. Well, I don't get any business from my website. And my response to them is going to be, well, you don't can't see the null set. You can't see all of the people who heard about you through their colleague went to your website to confirm that you are a valid choice for them and left. Now, versus, I mean, I had a, a customer came to us. He was a, a New York state senator and he didn't get reelected but he'd been in government for a long time. He was a lawyer, so he put out his shingle to be a lobbyist. And he wasn't getting any traction. And he'd heard about what we do, and he came through one of my other customers, and he came to us, and I looked at his website, and I said, you're all inside out. You're talking about yourself. And he says, well, yes, because that's who they're hiring. I said, yes, I know that's who they're hiring, but you've got to get them there. Mm -hmm. And there, so we reworked his website around the principles that we've just talked about. We got his, you know, hero section to talk about the problems that these people are trying to solve. We used his credentials and experience and knowledge as reasons to believe that he was a credible choice to solve this problem. 
I was talking to him in Jan and, and and that didn't take a lot of copy. There was probably less than half the copy on his website by the time we were done than there was before. And he called me up in January and we were just checking in beginning of the year. And I said, so he said, you know, the website's a couple of years old. Do you think we should refresh it? And I said, well, let me ask you a question first. How busy are you? And he said, I can't, the phone won't stop ringing. I said, well, I, I don't think, I'd love to take your money, man. I really would, but I really don't think we should be messing with it. <laughs> you might, you might be bored with it because you see it all the time, but it's clearly still working for you. And like I said, we took out, took out more than half of the copy he had in his original website. So the, the answer to your question is it depends. And it really depends on what the customer is looking for and what all what their pathway, what their funnel looks like. You know, the, the marketing funnel is something that people talk about as a, as a thing, um, but it's not new. It's been around forever. It's a concept. And the website's an integral part of that, con of that process. And so you need to put as much copy in as is needed to answer your prime prospects' questions and get them to the end that's beneficial to them and beneficial to you and your business. In looking for products, particularly like something to buy, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of customers aren't, there, there are those customers who are, they, they, I need a box and they search on box and the first website they go to, oh, this looks like a great box. I'm going to buy this box. Right. But other customers go, oh, I need a box. And I'm going to look at seven different box companies and I'm going to look at there and I'm going to flag them and I'm going to bookmark them and I'm going to, okay, look at them and think about it. And then I might go back to them a second time and look at all seven and say, okay, of these seven, these are the two I'm interested in. And then they go through, okay, I'm going to visit them again. And okay, this is the one I really want. And that, that journey of several steps sometimes has to be included because that's how a lot of people buy. That's right. And if a website doesn't provide enough information on the front end, they usually either don't get bookmarked or in the second round, they're like, well, they're not that interesting. I, they don't connect with me. Therefore, okay, they're eliminated. It's hard to find what I'm looking for, et cetera. But so you need to, and, and we talked about this earlier. It's that concept, you know, you have to service both people. Right. If somebody is there's when you see a, a, an infomercial on television and I have my background is that work, um, you know, the 800 number is not at the end. The 800 number is throughout the entire infomercial. The vast majority of people who buy from an infomercial, it's not the first time they've seen it. So when they see it again, it reminds them, oh, yeah, right. I wanted to do that. So that 800 number needs to be right there at the top and in the middle and at the end throughout. So that's where the, the thought process around the main navigation is really important. If somebody has been to the box site and, and sorted out at consideration and then gone into prospecting, okay, I got these three. When they go back to those sites, they're going to want a navigation choice that says residential boxes, right? Because they don't need to see all the stuff on the homepage. They've already seen that. They want to understand in more detail about residential boxes. 
or there might be another tab in the navigation that says industrial boxes right so you're you're you need to service both kinds of audience there's a that's why um, you know marketing if you're spending money on marketing and you're doing advertising you know Google AdWords don't send that traffic to your homepage send that traffic to a landing page that's been specifically designed to support the ad that got them there. Am I in the right place? Yep. Right? Yeah, you got to segment the traffic coming in from advertising since advertising allows you to kind of identify their interests uh, at some level. Uh, but once they hit that landing page, it's kind of the same thing. You got six seconds to get them to say, I want to stay here. And, and exactly. then you have to supply them all the information they need to make a decision right. and calls to action to do that. It doesn't change that strategy. It just helps you direct the traffic and maybe qualify that traffic a little bit better, I guess. Sure. And it helps you, it helps you determine what it is that you should be using to execute that strategy. You see long form landing pages that are like page after page, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. But you'll also notice that the call to action is about every 800 pixels. Mm -hmm. Right? So that when they're convinced, it, they can take action right then and there. Whether that's at the top of the page or the bottom of the page, they don't have to scroll all the way to the bottom to get to the call to action. Uh, one of the one of the calls to action that we did for a client, uh, which I thought was really good, uh, is they had a floating call to action. So as you were scrolling down the page, the call to action button was always in the same place. Yep. And, and that way it made it very easy to, to click the call to action. And it was always visible all the time, no matter where they were on the page. Right. Without getting in the way of what it was they were trying to consume. Yeah, that's very smart. It's something that's intrigued me for uh, many years, and I'm looking for an expert opinion. Are you familiar with the practice of decoy pricing? I worked back in the in the '90s. I worked with uh, Sprint and their long distance division, and the assignment that I was working on was customer loyalty. At the advertising agency I worked at, we almost didn't take the business because when we did an initial analysis, they were literally losing customers faster than they were gaining customers, which, you know, okay. don't need to be an MBA to think, hmm, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and I was in a, a meeting and a researcher was presenting some results from some survey work that they were doing. And in his preamble, he said something that really got me thinking. He said, in his experience, doing research, loyalty-based research, like for hundreds of different clients, hundreds of different situations, business to consumer, business to business, he said 90% of, of loyalty problems can be traced to a flawed sales process. Hmm. So these kinds of tactical things that you're describing, they may work short term. They may generate that first sale, but they're not, but that's what I call a flawed sales process. Those are not customers that have got any reason to come back to you. In fact, they probably have a bad taste in their mouth about the whole process. 
So yeah, they work, and there's a reason people do them. It depends on your business, but if you're looking to build long-term relationships with customers, and the, you know, and it, that's worth doing. A, another, a bonus factoid: customers deliver value to a business five ways. The longer they're with you, the more return you get on the investment required to acquire them in the first place. The longer they're with you, the more, the better they understand how your product or service works, which lowers support costs. The longer they're with you, the better they understand your value proposition. You don't have to bribe them to buy again. The longer they're with you, the more likely they are to pay full price. And then the longer they're with you, the more loyal they are, the more likely they are to advocate for you, which draws in new customers without the investment of advertising and marketing. You know, when work I did, I had worked with, uh, I've worked with a number of large banks and, and Visa and folks like that. You do the, the work of the databases, a, a one or 2% increase in loyalty in a customer base will have a 10 to an 80% increase in the net present value of that customer base. Because of those five reasons. So in my yeah. mind, you want to get customers for the right reasons and when you, and it will pay off in the future because you'll get to that second sale, which means much more likely to get to the third sale. So, yeah, I think, I think, you know, customers are now very savvy and experienced and when they encounter stuff that isn't, I would say a hundred percent honest or honest in intent, uh, they kind of sense that. Uh, I've experienced decoy pricing. I don't really like it when I experience it. And I may buy the item at that point because I just, I've already gone through the process and it's, it's okay, I, I need this, I'll do it. But I usually will not come back, you know, uh, that's just me personally. And, or, and that's you know, what happens. So I, I'm, I'm very kind of sensitive to it. Some people are, some people aren't. Um, but I, I, I think that, you know, that loyalty, loyalty is, well, I guess the, the saying I have is honesty is rewarded by loyalty, right? And if you use that in how you design your products and how you design your marketing and, and your sales process, that usually steers you clear of problem areas uh, and helps really get you an ROI on that. So Right. Yep. And, and it's mutual because you're also, you're creating value for the customer too. And when that mutual value is created, that that's a, that lifts the value proposition beyond the transactional. And your great idea, the, the thing you shared about the confirmation email. I mean, these are mm -hmm. simple little things. This is not rocket science. This is not hard to do. You know, you don't yeah. need. This is just treat them like people, for God's sakes. Yeah, you know, they want they, they want the experience to be enjoyable mm -hmm. or fun or interesting or something. If it's just standard cookie cutter bland, yep. it doesn't really help you in many ways, right? They want it to, they Putting want personality to be all those it. things and they want it to be smooth because they're super busy, which is, yep. you know, circling yep. back to the gamification question before. I'm not, I don't. 
there's lots of different tactics. If the tactic is going to create, is going to is not going to get in the way of making the process smooth, and it's going to create value by generating some fun, great, go for it. But it's got to do those two things. Don't just do it because it's cool. Well, um, I do have another question. It's more, I don't know if it's technical. It's, it feeds into this concept of people staying on the side or gathering information. I've had very mixed feelings about chatbots uh, and websites where you get to the page and a chatbot you know, opens up, how can I help you? Can I answer any questions, anything like that? You know, I've experienced some that are very mechanical and you can just, you feel like you're talking to a robot. I've experienced some where they put in some personality and it has a, a better feel. Do you have any experience with, with chatbots and how do they help people or help websites convert traffic into a call to action? You know, it, do they really add something or are they more of a pain in the ass most of the time? For the vast majority of businesses, I'd suggest you know, at the, at the front end, they're probably not worth the trouble. Um, where they can be very valuable and very useful is with returning customers. So if you can put a chat box behind a login, that's where they can be very useful because that, you know, this is somebody who's, you know, a customer of yours behind a login and you know, this is where you're, you're there for them. You're making yourself accessible. Uh, but if you're going to do it, you've got to think it through. It's not a tech, this isn't, chatbots are not a technology thing. As, as the three of us know, adding a chatbot to a website is like a 10 minute exercise. It's super easy to do. Um, it's not a technology thing. Do you have the right. support infrastructure in place to create value if somebody actually uses it? Yep. And that's a much bigger conversation. But if you're going to do it, my recommendation is almost always do it with existing customers. Use it as a value add to customers because these are these folks, they want to... It, it demonstrates that you value their business when you make it easy for them to talk to you. When they don't. Yeah, I usually see it implemented on literally landing pages and home pages, where it's like, "Can I help you?" Well, I'm I'm doing research. In theory, <laughs> your page will help me. I don't need to talk to anyone about exactly. it. Exactly. Right? Yep. So uh, that would be my, well that would be page. my two cents on that. Is that. You know, for the yeah. and again, I mean, do you see chatbots on Amazon.com? Not really. Nope. Actually, now that I think about it, yeah. Nope. But although, in all honesty, when you try to communicate with Amazon on any level, uh, it's not so easy. Right. So and, and that's that may a, be a, that's a company a, philosophy. That's a mistake. They they if they could do a you know dynamic delivery of the technology so that when I'm logged in as an Amazon Prime member that chatbot is available, but if I'm just visiting the site as a guest, it don't get in my way. All right, well, James, thank you so much. It's been a really wonderful conversation. We've had a great time. For all of our listeners, uh, if you want any more information about James, we'll have it in the description. Uh, we'll put links to his LinkedIn and uh, his website. And uh, for next month, uh, we will have another interesting topic. 
on Screenbox Technology and Business Rundown Podcast. Thank you very much for taking this journey with us. Join us for our next exciting exploration of technology and business in the first week of every month. Please help us by subscribing, liking, and following us on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please let us know any subjects or topics you would like us to discuss in our next podcast by leaving a message for us in the comment sections or sending us a Twitter DM. Till next month, please stay happy and healthy. Mm -hmm.